Take as much time as you need to. Thank you so much. Love you. Thank God for you. Faithful pastor and the faithful people. I tell you, every time I come here, I get encouraged because uh, to see so many of you that have just stayed right with it and uh, kept moving forward for the Lord is tremendously encouraging when you come back to a church again and again through the years. And uh, I just want to encourage you, keep on for the Lord. Look, Jesus is coming soon. Any moment, we're going to see him. And uh, I'd like to finish strong. How about you? And we're praying for that, praying for one another. And Pastor, thank you for letting me be here. He has been a real mentor to me and a constant encouragement and prayer partner. And I deeply appreciate it. And I love this church, praying that your great days are ahead. And uh, I do appreciate you praying for us. Well, we have been in the book of Ruth all day today. How many of you read Ruth a little bit today? Anybody read a little bit? That's very good. I hope you'll spend some time in it in the days ahead. Let's open the Word of God together in this hour to the book of Ruth, to Ruth chapter number 4. We'll come to the other end of the book, the end of the story, uh, the end of her chapter of the story. Let's say it that way because the, the divine drama continues. We all get a chapter, you see, but the story is the Lord's. And the record is the Lord's. And in fact, Ruth's story doesn't end here. Her life, the account of it ends, but she shows up in the New Testament. We'll see that in a moment in the line of Christ, which is such an honor. Aren't you glad we get to be a part of the family of God? And uh, what a joy and privilege it is. And when you come to Ruth chapter number four, you come really to a, a divine progression, a natural progression. I love the theme that you have uh, at this time on come and go, come and go. The Lord's first invitation, come after me, and his last command, go into all the world. And there's a divine order in that. I almost think you could sum up the entire Christian experience with those two words. You come and you keep coming, and then you go. So those who come, the comers become the goers. And as we go, what happens? Others come. Well, you see that same pattern laid out in Ruth's experience. Let's read just a little bit. Ruth chapter number four. Now let's pick up in verse number nine. You remember uh, somebody had to purchase. Now this sounds a little strange. So let's just get the cultural aspect of this out of the way. How many of you are glad we don't get married like they used to get married in ancient civilization? Yeah. And uh, Tammy and I have been married. Happy anniversary to this couple tonight. Tammy and I have been married 26 years. We got married on Friday the 13th. That was the luckiest day of my life, let me tell you. And we have certain customs, you know, in our culture today, how the wedding ceremony takes place and all of that. So when you read this, and it seems a little foreign, it's because you're in a different culture. But her, her husband had died. And uh, some near kinsman related to the family had to be willing to purchase everything that belonged to Naomi, everything that belonged to Ruth, everything that belonged to that whole side of the family. All the belongings, everything, uh, incur all of it to themselves. And there was one who was willing to do that. And his name is Boaz. Uh, let's pick up Ruth chapter 4 beginning in verse 9. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all. Mark that in your Bible, would you please? I bought it all. I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kylan's and Malan's of the hand of Naomi. Now, if you look at those names and you remember where we started our study in chapter 1 this morning, that's the daddy who died and the two sons who died. So Boaz said, I'm incurring all that to myself now. I'm bringing their family into my family. Look at verse number 10. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, 
the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place, your witnesses this day. In other words, somebody had to be willing to incur all the debt all the possessions, everything, so that this man's posterity could go on, so that the family line could in some way continue. That's what's going on here. His name would continue. Verse 11, and all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we're witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which two did build the house of Israel. Time out. Stop right there just a second. They said, oh, the whole nation of Israel, trace it upstream, go all the way back to the beginning. The whole nation of Israel goes all the way back to these two ladies. And they said, we're praying that God will make this union just as fruitful as that was. We're praying that God will give so many children and so much blessing to this new family uh, that it will just go on and on and be multiplied. Look at the end of verse number 11. And... Do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, remember, that's the mother-in-law, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. How many of you are glad God is the restorer of our life and the nourisher of our old age? You know, the longer you live and the more you deal with, the more grateful you are that that's our God. He's not the God of the past. He's the God of the present. He's not just God when you're young and, and fruitful and feel like, you know, you've got it all under control. No, he's God when it seems like everything is falling apart and you're out of options and you're weak and tired and weary. The Lord is the restorer and the nourisher. For thy daughter-in-law, they continue, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it to her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There's a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of of David. Every time I look at this, I just honestly, I shake my head in, in unbelief that God would bring a Moabitish girl all the way from that pagan country to Bethlehem, Judah, Bethlehem, Ephrata, and put her in the lineage of the Messiah and make her the grandmother of King David. Can you think of anybody more honored, more revered in the land of Israel than David? And this is Grandma Ruth. Isn't that an amazing thing? And Naomi, of course, gets the privilege of raising this child and uh, seeing the, the restoration that only God can bring.
There's a phrase I want to draw to your attention tonight. It's found twice in some form in the passage we've just read. I want you to mark it in your Bible at the end of verse 11 and at the end of verse 14. And I want you to connect it in your Bible and in your thinking. Look at the end of verse number 11. The Bible says that God will do this, that he may be famous in Bethlehem. Don't you love that expression? As we approach the Christmas season in just a few days, there'll be a lot of talk about Bethlehem. Just a few months ago, we had the privilege of going to Bethlehem. And uh, matter of fact, we had, while we were in the, the Holy Land, we had our, our Sunday service in the shepherd's fields in Bethlehem. And so I got to stand in the, in the area they call the shepherd's fields and preach. And we had a worship service. It was wonderful. Uh, behind us was the area where all of this would have transpired. Directly in front of us, as the, as the crow flies, they would say, were the caves that they've uncovered that were the, the shepherd's caves where they would hide out. And of course, they have the, the church of the nativity there where they believe was the region where our Lord was, was born. We don't know exactly where it was. Nobody knows exactly where it was. That's not the point. The point is that God did it in an out-of-the-way, uh, unusual place so that he would get all the glory for it. Micah chapter 5 verse number 2 said that though Bethlehem Ephrathah was little among the thousands of Judah, they were not the least because out of Bethlehem would come he that was to be ruler Israel. Don't you love the fact that God takes these little places that are out of the way and unexpected and makes them the place of his divine blessing so that he alone gets the glory for it. So be famous in Bethlehem. Then come down to verse number 14 and mark this, that his name may be famous in Israel. Would you mark the two, famous in Bethlehem, his name, famous in Israel. In our celebrity culture, people are enamored today with fame. Some people trying hard to be famous. Let me, let me just tell you, fame is not always all it is cracked up to be. And in fact, if you ever talk to a famous person, somebody that is constantly recognized and that kind of thing, usually they're trying to hide from it. And there's a reason for that because after a while, it just exhausts people. It, it wears them out. And then on the other hand, you have the rest of us commoners. How many of you are glad God loves ordinary people? Yes? So you've got the rest of the commoners, and, and sometimes we look at famous people, and we admire people for the wrong reasons, and we think of people who are famous in some way, like, you know, they're above everybody else. Can I just remind us all tonight, we're all a bunch of black-hearted, hell-deserving sinners that none of us deserve anything but the judgment of Almighty God. And if it wasn't for the mercy of Jesus, we'd all be lost forever. So it doesn't matter how famous a person is. Fame must never be the goal. And in fact, none of us is worthy of fame except for the one who is worthy of all honor and glory, and that is our Lord. Isn't it ironic? I was thinking about this this week. Isn't it ironic that the one person who is worthy of fame actually hid from it. You ought to study again through the gospel records and look at all the occasions where the Bible talks about Jesus not lifting up his voice in the street, not calling attention to himself. All the times where they said, show him yourself, show him who you are, and instead he slips quietly away through the crowd. Or he hangs on the cross and they say, if you're the Christ, come down on the cross and prove it. He could have been in a moment done that and much more, but he doesn't do it. Isn't it interesting that the one person who is worthy of the fame, who has the name that is worthy of all glory, instead is, is 
retiring from that. So unlike our sinful natures that want something we are not worthy of. And yet, when you come to this passage, there's fame. And the fame is connected to the name. This is beautiful. The fame is not Boaz's fame. If you had said Boaz's name in that day, everybody would say, oh, we know Boaz. He's a wealthy man. He's a good man. If you had said Ruth's name, she was probably famous in those parts too. They'd have said, we know her. She's the Moabitess girl that came back with Naomi. But the fame in Ruth is not Boaz's, and the fame in Ruth is not Ruth's, and the fame in Ruth is not Naomi's. The fame in Ruth is the fame of our God who is worthy of all glory and praise. For a few moments tonight, I want to talk to you. Very simple about the fame and the name of Jesus. The fame and the name of Jesus. Now, take it direct from Scripture. Look at verse number 11. That he may be famous in Bethlehem. There are two names used here, Ephrata and Bethlehem. Ephrata means fruitful. I love this. Their prayer is that this family would be fruitful and famous. May I tell you, standing on the other side looking back, that prayer was answered. Now, this is a fruitful family, and this is a famous family because this is the family of our Lord Jesus. Go with me for just a moment to Matthew chapter number 1. Would you come right back? Hold your place in Ruth. Go to Matthew chapter 1. I want you to mark this in your Bible. This is one of the, the genealogical records of Messiah. And look at Matthew 1 verse 1. Don't skip over these names. Did you know names actually matter? Somebody said the most beautiful word in the English language is a person's own name. Don't you love it when somebody knows you and calls you by name? They're interested in you. Well, I got a good word for you tonight. God knows all of our names. And if you're a child of God, your name's been written down in his book in heaven. Aren't you happy about that? He knows your name. Look at the genealogy, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar, and Perez begat Ezra, and Ezra begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon. Aren't you glad we don't use these names anymore? Look at verse 5. And Salmon begat who? Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of what? Would you circle Ruth, Matthew chapter 1, verse number 5? And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. There are, in fact, three women in this genealogical line. That's a little unusual because in ancient custom, the ladies' names were not included in the genealogy. I love this. You know, everybody wants to talk about equality today. There is nothing more equal than the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, everywhere the message of Jesus is given, ladies are lifted to their highest honor. Do you know why that is? Because in the gospel, it's not one for the male and one for the female. We all equally are sinners. We all come to Jesus the same way. God loves all people, and Christ died for every man. And so he makes a way so rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, male and female, all come into the family of God. But don't miss Ruth. Right there in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 5, this is a direct answer to prayer that this name would be famous in Bethlehem. Go back to Ruth chapter 4. Look at the second expression, verse number 14. Not just famous in Bethlehem, but that his name may be famous in Israel. In Bible days, names symbolized who and what a person was. That is why, on occasion, God changed people's names. 
I don't know how it was when you had your children. Tammy and I, we have three, and, and they're grown now. But when we chose their names, by and large, we chose the names. This is real deep. Are you ready? Because we liked the way they sounded. How many of you are with me on that? Yes? It is like the way it kind of flowed and went together. But in Bible days, names actually meant something. The meaning of the name. That is why Abram became what, church? Abraham. Somebody say, oh, big deal. It was a big deal. Abram means high father. Abraham means father of many nations. I love this. God said, you're living your life to see how high you can go. I'm not going to lift you up this way. Instead, I'm going to spread you out this way. It's not about you, Abraham. It's about what I'm going to accomplish through your life. It's wonderful, isn't it? How about this one? Simon, tell you what we're going to call you. We're going to call you Peter. We're going to change your name. Somebody says, well, that's, that's interesting, yes, because in fact, he changed his name to Rock, the Rock. Isn't that fascinating? I've always uh, been amused by the fact that when Jesus first told him that, Peter was the most emotional, unpredictable, vacillating of all the disciples. You know the guy, open mouth, insert foot, never said the right thing, always getting himself in trouble. Can you imagine how the disciples must have snickered when Jesus said, you're going to be the rock? And they said, he's going to be the rock? Mm -hmm. But I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus was looking not at what he was, but what he was going to make him. That's powerful, isn't it? Now, what about old Saul who had a head-on collision with a risen Christ on the road to Damascus? And just a few chapters later, he's not called Saul anymore. He's called Paul. I've pondered a lot about that. There's no exact place where God said to him, change your name. Don't use the name Saul anymore. It just happened. You ever wonder why it happened? I'll tell you what I believe. The first king of Israel, his name was Saul. He was a proud, arrogant man who was all about himself. And the name Saul was forever associated with people who really thought pretty highly of themselves. Strong, dominant kind of people. I think Paul, in his humility, recognizing who Christ was and who he was, changes the name so he no longer will be associated with the old man. He now will be associated with the new life he has in Jesus Christ. So every time a name changes, it is significant because it means something. Now, with that in mind, mark verse 14 again, that his name may be famous in Israel. What name are we talking about? We're talking here about the name of Messiah. And do you know what our Lord has done with the name of Jesus? He has sanctified that name. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the precious name of Jesus. Would you say his name with me, church? Say his name, please. Jesus. Jesus. Say it again, please. Jesus. Jesus. One more time. Jesus. There's no name like that name. You ever wonder why nobody ever curses in Buddha's name? I mean, honestly, when was the last time you heard somebody get mad and say Muhammad or Allah? Confucius. Joseph Smith, name one. Name one God, one deity, one religious leader, one founding member of some religious sect that anybody ever curses in their name. They don't. Would you like to know why? Because there's only one name that Satan hates, and he hates it because he knows the power in it. There is no name like the name of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, go to Philippians 2 for just a minute, would you please? You know the passage, but I want to show you something I was looking at the other day. Philippians 2 tells us about God exalting the name of his son. 
Look at Philippians 2, verse number 8. Speaking of Jesus, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We don't know the names of the other thieves, those men that hung on his right and his left. They were just sinners, common criminals. Nobody recorded their names. Nobody wanted to remember them. But we know the name of the man on the middle cross. Why do we know the name of the man on the middle cross? Because he wasn't a criminal. He was the Savior dying for the criminals. Look at verse number 9. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a what, church? A name. Not just a name. He's given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Do you understand someday you're going to see every dictator on their knees? Let that sink in. Every president, every prime minister, every potentate, every governor, every senator, and every mayor someday will bow the knee at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus Christ and confess he really is the Lord. Look, you either acknowledge it now or you acknowledge it later, and if you wait till later, you've waited too long, but someday everybody is going to confess the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 10. Did you ever notice the list here? Things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory. There it is. To the glory of God the Father. All the fame goes to the name, you see. But notice the three parts in verse 10. Things in heaven. May I tell you that in the name of Jesus in heaven, there is rejoicing. When the name of Jesus is proclaimed in glory, angels strike up the choir. The saints of all the ages join in the chorus. Can you imagine? We've had great worship services today. But can you imagine the worship service going on in heaven? Can you imagine the worship service is going to go on for all eternity as we praise the marvelous name of Jesus? Oh, I tell you, the name of Jesus is so glorified and exalted and famous in heaven that all of heaven celebrates at that name. And then there's things in earth. May I tell you, by the name of Jesus, things in earth are changed. You know why we're here tonight? Because of a name. <laughs> Think about that. And it's not the name of Faith Baptist. It's not the name of your pastor. And it's not the name of this preacher. There's only one name by which we're gathered here tonight. If it wasn't for this name, we wouldn't even be in this meeting. What's the name, church? Jesus. There's no name like that name. Heaven rejoices at the name. Earth is changed by the name. And then look at this. Did you ever notice this? Things under the earth. What's under the earth? It's a reference not to heaven, but to hell. Watch this, please. Heaven celebrates at the name. Earth is changed by the name, but hell trembles at the name of Jesus. There's one name that shakes hell, one name that the hounds of hell run from. They're afraid of. They're not afraid of you. They're not afraid of me, but they're afraid of the one who is greater than all. They're afraid of one name, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because his name is famous. And please don't miss this. If it's famous in heaven and famous in hell, don't you think it ought to be famous on earth? If it's going to be famous for eternity, don't you think maybe it ought to be famous now? Let's go back to our passage, and I'll give you two or three truths I want you to write down, and an application of it tonight. Number one, would you write this down somewhere? All the Lord did through Boaz was so God's name would be famous. We wouldn't be talking about Boaz tonight 
if it wasn't for the God of Boaz. So everything that God ever does through someone, it is that his own name would be glorified. I got to tell you tonight, I'm glad that I have a sharing God. But there is one thing he does not share. He says, I will not share my glory with any other. He will share his wisdom. Aren't you glad we're so ignorant he shares his wisdom? He shares his mercy. He shares his grace. He shares his peace. He shares his love. He shares his presence. He shares it all. But there's one thing he will never share. He will not share his glory with anybody. When you and I start taking credit, we rob God of glory. The moment we start thinking it's about us, God says, I'm going to show you it's not about you. Everything the Lord did through Boaz's life, all of the good that came into this family and this community and the nation of Israel and the world through Boaz was because of the God of Boaz. It's never about man. It is always about the Lord. I've heard for years preachers talk about, well, Boaz was willing to be the kinsman redeemer. That's true. He was willing. Can I ask you a question? Who made him willing? Philippians 2 verse 13 says, It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Look, it wasn't because Boaz was just a good guy. It was because his God is a good God. And God had turned the heart of Boaz. Listen to me, friends. If there's any good thing in any of us, it must be Jesus, because I dead sure can tell you it is not anything in us. Paul said, in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. A friend, there's nothing good in us. If there's any beautiful thing that you see in a person, it is Christ in that person. I've heard people talk about, well, the Boaz was not only willing to be the kinsman redeemer. He was able. That's exactly right. He was a wealthy man. So let me ask you a question. Where did he get his wealth? It is the Lord that gives power to get wealth. Do you understand that God is the one who positioned Boaz in this place at that time and that everything God did in his life, he did for his own purpose and for his own glory? It is not about Boaz. It is that God's name would be made famous in Bethlehem. God's name has always been famous in glory. Where does it begin here on earth? Would you mark the end of verse number 11? In Bethlehem. That's where, that's where the fame began. This is a little hint, you see. It's a little, little, little key that unlocks the passage that this is about Jesus. Who is Boaz? He's the Redeemer. In fact, back up to verse number 9. Did you see what came out of his mouth? He said, I have bought all. I want you to take your pen, and in the margin of your Bible, next to verse number 9, where it says, I bought all, I want you to write another statement. Would you write this down in the margin of your Bible? Three words. Ready? It is finished. Did you know when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out one word in his language, to talisti. One word. In our Bible, it is the expression, it is what? Finished. Did you know it was a merchant term? That in the day, if a man owed a bill and went into the store to pay the bill in full, the man at the shop would take out the bill and he would take a stamp that had one word on it and he would stamp that bill with one word when it was cared for. It was the word to talisai. It literally meant this is paid in full. Love this. When Jesus died from the cross and shouted out to talisai, he didn't say he was finished. He said it was finished. That wasn't the victim's cry. It was the victor's cry. He literally said he has paid our sin debt in full. I'm going to tell you, 
If Jesus paid it all, all to him, I'll, his name ought to be famous in our lives. You know, we talk too much about us and not near enough about Jesus. You want to know what's precious to people? Listen to them talk. Is it odd that Christian people can go about their business and run their families and, and deal with all of their daily dealings and speak never about Jesus? What's wrong? Maybe his name is not famous in our world because his fame is not really, his name is not really famous in our own heart. Oh, hallowed be thy name. As in heaven, so in earth. Oh, Lord, be famous in my life. And so everything the Lord did through Boaz was that the name of Jesus would be made famous. Let me show you something. Go to Matthew again for just a moment. Matthew chapter 9. I was looking at this this week. I don't know why I never connected these thoughts from Ruth to Jesus' ministry. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Uh, Jesus raised a little girl from the dead. That'll make a stir, won't it? And in verse 24... He said, she's just sleeping, and they laughed him to scorn. They literally just laughed him to a place of absolute humiliation. When the people were put forth, verse 25, he went in, took her by the hand, and the maid arose. Would you read verse 26 out loud with me, church? Ready? Matthew 9, verse 26. And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. Oh, friends, Jesus is famous. Would you tell me somebody else you know that raises dead people? I'd like to meet them. There is one that can bring life out of death, and his name should be famous in Israel. Same page. Look at verse number 31. He just touched the eyes of two blind men. Verse 30, their eyes are open. Look at verse 31. But they, when they were departed, read it with me out loud. Ready? Spread abroad his fame in all that country. How many of you know the Lord has opened your eyes and shown you some things spiritually? Would you raise your hand? Let me tell you what you ought to be doing. If your eyes have been opened, your mouth ought to be open. If you can see, you ought to speak. If God's done that in your life, then let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let somebody stand up and speak up and say, let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. And make his name famous. Still in Matthew? Turn over a couple more pages to Matthew chapter number 14. I like this. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard. What did he hear? He heard of the fame of Jesus. There's a little humor actually in that verse. Perhaps you wouldn't know. But did you know Herod was a famous man? The Herodian dynasty, powerful people. They were wicked, immoral, ungodly, lascivious men, but they were famous. When you said the name Herod, people trembled. When you said the name of Herod the Tetrarch, people paid attention. And I love this. This little governor on earth hears of the great governor of glory. He hears of the fame of Jesus. Did you know when God gets big, everybody gets small? We get pretty impressed with people, don't we, sometimes? But I'm going to tell you something. The bigger God gets, the smaller we all get until we realize that we are nothing and he is everything. We are not worthy of anything but hell. But Jesus is worthy of all fame and all glory. Go back with me to Ruth and let me give you a second principle. Not only is it true that everything the Lord did through Boaz was that the Lord's name would be famous, but number two, all that God did for Ruth and Naomi was so that his name would be famous. 
You see, when God shows his goodness and when God shows his grace, it is always for his glory. I'm not sure why this is, but we're recipients, you know, of the goodness and grace of God. And somewhere along the way, we start thinking it's about us and not about him. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? Would you go back in your mind to the day you got saved? Do you remember the day you got saved? On the day you got saved, I don't know the circumstances, but I know what happened. On the day you got saved, you realized that you were a poor, hell-deserving sinner that couldn't save yourself. You came to the end of yourself, and at that moment, you entered into the grace of God. And then somewhere, once we start enjoying the riches of his grace and the riches of his glory and the riches of his goodness, we start thinking that those riches are ours by right, that somehow, you know, we've earned some kind of favor with God. I just want to remind you that we are all poor in spirit, and we all constantly need the mercy of the Lord. Paul wrote to one of the churches and said, if you've received it, why do you boast like you didn't receive it? Why do we strut our way through life acting like we really are somebody because, you know, we've been saved for 40 years. We become professional Christians. That's what's happened to us. And we've forgotten what wicked sinners we are and what a wonderful Savior Jesus is. And maybe we need to go back and remind ourselves that every good thing God does in a Ruth or in a Naomi is so his name will be made famous. There's two parts to this. Look at verse 13, verse 14, and verse 15. In Ruth's life, he gives new life. Remember, Ruth's a picture of every sinner. She's a Moabitess, a pagan girl, comes to faith in God, comes into the family. She is a picture of the sinners who enter into new life through the grace of the Lord. And Naomi is a picture of a backslider, a broken believer who is restored to fellowship with God. In recent days, I have seen both happen, and it's wonderful. When you see a sinner in their brokenness, come to the end of themselves and say, I want to be saved. It's precious. Y'all have had some people saved around here recently. I met some of those new Christians this morning. And I tell you, there's nothing quite like being around a new Christian. It's wonderful. But then even this morning, we saw some people who weren't right with God come to get right with God. And I'm going to tell you, that is equally just as thrilling to me. Do you know what both of them are? Both of them are demonstrations of the goodness and grace of God. And every time either one of them happens, it ought to be all eyes on Jesus. Oh, glory to God. At the end of meetings, people are kind. You're kind. But one of the things that rejoices my heart most at the end of a meeting when people are leaving is not when I hear them talking about the preacher, not when I hear them talking about the sermons. I love it at the end of a meeting when you just hear people talking about Jesus. And do you know why that is? Because Jesus is really the only one who's worthy of being spoken of. It's good for preachers to remind themselves, too, that they're nothing and be brought to nothing. It is all the grace and goodness and glory of Jesus Christ that his name would be made famous. So, number one, all the Lord does through Boaz, that the Lord's name would be famous. Number two, all the Lord did for Ruth and Ilmet, that his name would be famous. Number three, let's get personal. You ready? You're in the outline. Number three, all that the Lord does in and through my life is that his name would be famous. Every gift, any favor, every blessing that he might be known. Would you look please at verse 14 and notice what happens. They have a worship service. Now this is very important, so pay close attention. Look at verse 14. The women start 
singing, Blessed be the Lord. Wait a minute. Boaz, you're the man. Mm -mm. Blessed be the Lord. Ruth, we're so glad you're here. No, no. Blessed be the Lord. Naomi, you made it, girl. You're not broken anymore. You're not empty. You're full again. No, no. Blessed be the Lord. Watch this, please. The right response is that all of us must come to a place of true worship. Do you know what the Lord is worthy of? Do you know the Father is still seeking true worshipers? Do you know where that has to start? In us. See, every day ought to be a worship day for a child of God. If you wait for next Sunday to worship again, you're not a true worshiper. Mm -mm. No true worshipers every day acknowledge the goodness and grace of God and say, blessed be the Lord that his name would be famous. And watch this. When the worship becomes witness, here's what happens. You start sharing that with other people, and guess what the Lord does? The Lord begins using that goodness in your life to draw other people to himself. Wouldn't it be great if they saw so much of Christ in us, they were attracted not to us, they were attracted to the Christ in us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people saw so much of the grace of God in this church family they said, I don't know what those people have, but I want to know their God. And they were attracted to the Christ of this church, that his name would be made famous. Amen. I want you to know, this has always been the desire of God. It's what he desires, and it's what he deserves. Look, famous in Bethlehem, famous in Israel. Let's get real, famous in my life, famous in your life. Let's end where God ends the whole thing, shall we? It's all going to the throne someday. Go to Revelation 5 with me for just a minute, would you? Because here's where the whole thing is going. The beginning of today, we started in Genesis. Let's go to Revelation. You can tell people I preached the whole Bible, all right? Look at Revelation 5. Verse 3, no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Philippians 2, nobody in heaven, nobody on earth, nobody under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon, and I wept much. Because no man, there it is again, verse 3, no man, verse 4, no man. No man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David. Wait a minute. Where, where does that go back? Trace it all the way back to Ruth, chapter number four. Here, here, here comes the offspring of David. Here comes the lineage of David. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Hear me, please, with your heart. There is only one who is worthy, and his name is Jesus Christ. So what shall we do about it? Let me give you two things. Would you write them down? Two words. Number one, we must worship. And number two, we must witness. 
How many of you know you're saved? Raise your hand big and high. You know you're saved? How many of you are still glad you're saved? All right, let's start here. You should seek to more deeply know God in all of his glory and perfections and fall in love with the name of Jesus again. This week, concentrate more on the name of Jesus. Let it start in you that his name would be famous in you. And then turn that inside out. And let the worship become witness and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to speak of Jesus to as many people as I possibly can. I'm going to give a piece of gospel literature to somebody and say, can I tell you about the person who changed my life? When was the last time you gave your story? When was the last time you spoke to somebody about the name of Jesus Christ? You know, I get grieved. I don't know about you. I get grieved. I hear people taking God's name in vain. Any of you get grieved by that? You ought to. The Holy Spirit within you ought to be vexed. He is vexed, and you ought to be vexed. The name of the Lord is taken in vain. But look, what's the opposite of taking the Lord's name in vain? Using the Lord's name with meaning. And only a child of God can do that. Wouldn't it be wonderful this week if it wasn't just the preacher in the pulpit using the name of Jesus and talking about him, if it was every one of the Lord's people making his name famous in Kannapolis and Concord and Landis and wherever else you live and wherever you happen to go. Do you know why? Because everybody ought to know who Jesus is. The fame and the name. 